Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, church family. Have I told you lately that I love you? I am missing you like crazy and cannot wait to be back together. Looking forward to that day. Before recording this, we, uh, I walked out into the auditorium and just prayed over you. And, and as I walked by the different chairs, I saw you sitting there. I saw uh, each of you have your own spots. I saw the, the Wicker family sitting over here. I saw uh, Doug and Linda Edwards. You are over here, Clayton, Lindsay. I see you guys, Josh Hall. Family, I see you up in the balcony over here. The, uh, let's see, Matt and Jen, I see you guys sitting in the middle. I see you, Rhonda English, Bev, sitting right down here in front. And uh, I'm thinking of you, praying for you. And when we do all get back together, we are already thinking about what kind of celebration it's going to be. But uh, it's going to be a special one. But in the meantime, we want to be making the most of the opportunity God has given us in this unique season of life. And so thank you for the ways that you are being His presence out there. I so appreciate our staff and just learning how to do ministry virtually on the fly. And we're pumping content for kids, for students. We're going to, this week, we'll probably be adding something for adults midweek and just a way to huddle and encourage you in your faith. And so... We, uh, one of the neat, it's been neat hearing stories come in. I, I heard last week that some of, we've had people joining us for the first time online. So if you're new, welcome to you. We uh, also heard where one of you took the church basically to work and you had church at your lunch table with about 10 coworkers. So exciting to hear that. Keep on. We, uh, the opportunity to gather as small groups, but also as families, and just let our homes be a, a house of worship is, is a unique opportunity in this season. But we had discovered, at least personally, and then as I gathered with our, our staff on Tuesday, that this is easier said than done. Tam and I no longer have kids at home, and we even found ourselves in a mini-conflict 10 minutes before our worship time, which was, we would plan, let's get together for worship at 10 o'clock. We're in this little disagreement, which we worked through, but I know I was in no frame of mind to go to church after that. I was like, <laughs> except for the need to, to confess what, what I had done. And it occurred to me as I thought about this, normally I come to church early in the morning, I miss the whole family thing and to prepare for, for sharing God's word with you. And it hit me, this is hard to do. And so what you go through on a normal Sunday, getting the whole family ready, getting here, I'm sure there's conflicts and what have you. So I thought I'd just start today by encouraging you with a, a little uh, bit of God's word. First, who is responsible for the family huddle time, family worship time? And we know that, that both mom and dad are lead the family and, and raise the kids, but ultimately it's the father, it's the husband, it's the dad who's responsible for family worship. And so we, uh, a good leader will uh, input, gather input from the team. So fathers, we uh, dads, we get together with the team and say, hey guys, what will family worship look like? And we listen and lovingly lead, but ultimately it's up to dad to say, all right, this is how we're going to do it. 
Now, when it comes to family worship, there's 187 different ways to do it, right? So for us, it was, hey, let's, here's a possible play. We'll call this play number 117. You decide, okay, let's get together at 10 o'clock on Sunday, and let's go over our five family values. And then let's hit the video. Let's worship with Wes. Let's, uh, you know, listen to the pastor preach. Let's pray together. Let's take a, a bathroom break, snack break. And then let's, let's gather at the dinner table, lunch table, and discuss the three questions that, that come out of this worship time. So that's play number 117. Well, every member in the family probably has a, a better way of doing it, right? But if we start to grumble and say, I wish we could run play number 23, what happens? It's the family, it's not good for anyone, right? And so here's the verse to encourage you with. It's a verse that encourages leaders to lead, dads to lead, but also family to make it easy for him to lead. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, which says this, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Now, this was written to church leaders and to the church. But the context, I think it's also applicable to in the home, who will give an account for how it goes with family. And we know through scripture, God looks to the man, to the husband. If there's not a husband present to the mom, but it says, notice what it says, do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. So if everyone in the family starts complaining about the way dad is uh, running play number 117, what's it cause the guy to want to do, the man to want to do? Quit, right? And the big thing guys struggle with is passivity. We, we let you know, mom lead the, the family in the realm of worship when that's actually our job. So men, I want to encourage you just to be reminded that we will give an account for how it goes with our family. So lead strong, lead with love. And to the rest of the family, when dad calls play number 117 for family worship, there's lots of other ways we could do it, but let's just try to do it and uh, get behind him. Help him do that, and it will go well with the whole family. Sound good? Everybody who agrees, say amen. Amen. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a moment now and pray together as a, a family or pray on your own. Question, is anyone else feeling discombobulated these days? It seems as if each new day there's another change that affects our life. Something else is, is shutting down or something else is happening that creates an anxiety. And it's not the big shock kind of anxiety, but it's that low grade kind of anxiety that, that settles over us like a fog. It creates a cloudiness in our minds, an unsettledness in our soul, a dull sense of uh, things are just not as they should be, and, and, and I should be doing something else like right now, like stocking up on green beans and, and toilet paper. How do we process through these times that tend to, to discombobulate our thinking and our hearts? As followers of Jesus, how do we navigate the trials? Right now we're in a, a trial, really a worldwide kind of trial. 
But how do we navigate these times with hope and with courage rather than fear? Well, the good news is that God has given us some timeless truth that enables us to to navigate these days with with courage and with hope. The, uh, The fact is that the number one command in the Bible. Do you remember this? You may have heard this before, but the, the most repeated command in the Bible is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God knows as humans that our natural response to changing circumstances is fear. And he calls us to not be afraid. But that's only half of the solution. When he says to us, don't be afraid, that's his will for us. His calling on our lives as his followers is to be fearless. But we say, well, how? When the future is uncertain, when every day there's a changing circumstance, how do we live anxiety-free lives? And the answer is found in one word. If you remember one word from today, and because of our our tendency right now to be discombobulated, we're going to keep it real simple. One word to carry with you today into this coming week, it's this. The path out of anxiety is through praise. As we respond to the changing circumstances of our life, God invites us into a life of praise. Praise is where we shift our focus from the ever-changing circumstances to the unchanging help we have in our Lord. When we fix our minds and our our attention on Him and praise Him and thank Him for who He is, what He's done and what He's promised to do, fear melts. And so today, we're going to, to just lock in on five reasons that God gives us in His Word to praise Him. You could call these praise igniters. I've pictured them as being a handful of reasons, a handful of praise igniters that we can carry with us. They're simple. They're memorable. I encourage you to write them down in your Bible next to the text that we'll be in today so that we might fill this week up with praise as we follow Him. Quick orientation. You may be wondering, well, John, I thought we were making our way through Hebrews. And true, we'll be back to Hebrews next week. But today, I was led to to take us into this text just because I think we're at a a time in our history that's unique. There was a moment early in my life. I was in college. Our family was going through a trial. And I'll never forget the moment that my dad walked into my room and he was checking in on me and he said, John, how are you doing? And we talked for a minute. And then he took me to a text in God's word. And he said, John, this is sustaining me and I'm, I'm giving it to you now. I have come back to this text many, many times throughout my life. When a storm hits, when a trial hits and discombobulates me, this is the place I go. I've shared this text with many people, and this is one of those core texts that I must share with you today. And so it's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Let's go ahead and and drop in on this text. Verse 3. Peter is writing to a group of people who are going through some intense suffering. And he begins this way. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's significant here that what's Peter's first word to these people who are suffering? What's he call them to? He calls them to praise. Praise is the first response. As he gets this letter started, he's like, 
Praise the Father. You say, well, why and, and how? And he answers it as he goes on. First reason we have to praise God in the storm is I have a living hope. Look at the rest of this verse. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been given new birth through faith in Jesus Christ into a living hope. You say, well, what is hope? Hope is faith looking forward. Hope is, is how we process what's coming. It's looking out into the horizon of our life, which today seems pretty foggy, and it's seen as the backdrop, the, uh, the sunlight pouring over our future, the unfailing love of God. We know that whatever tomorrow holds, His love, He promises His love, and His love is that agape love that's pursuing our good every moment of our existence. Faith is, is believing this to the core of our being that whatever happens tomorrow, He is pursuing my good in that moment, and this is my reality forever. And notice He says that our hope is a living hope. The idea here is a dead hope is a hope that's inactive and not at work in our life. A living hope means that, that our hope is alive in that it is animating our next step. As we process life, our attitudes, our actions, hope is what's energizing us. It's animating us. It's moving us. It's a living hope. It's not a dead hope that, that has no effect on our lives. I, I so appreciated Pastor Tyson's message last week, which just riveted us on the perfect sacrifice that Jesus has given, which really solves our greatest problem, which is our separation from God. And this week, I heard a, a way to explain this that just sticks. It's called Three Circles. A guy named Ray Vaughn shared it, and you can Google him, and, and he explains this way better than I do, but it's this. The reality is we live in a world of brokenness. We look around, it's what we're experiencing now. We, we feel it inside, we see it in our relationships. We see it all around us, death, disease, brokenness. But this was not God's original plan. His plan, God's perfect design was for harmony, for peace, for the shalom that He created. We destroyed this when we decided, I'd like to do life my way, Adam and Eve, sin, leads to brokenness. And yet God in His love and in His mercy, as Peter says, He had a plan of redemption. And it can be summed up in one word, Jesus. Jesus God is God, but He is God's perfect Son who with a perfect love came into our brokenness for the purpose of dying in our place, living a perfect life, taking our sin upon Himself, and dying as our perfect sacrifice. But He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later. And He made it possible for us to move from brokenness to God's perfect design as we, one, turn from our sin. That means repent. A change of mind where we're no longer trying to do life our way and we, two, trust in Him as our sacrifice, what He did for us on the cross, but also as our leader, as we follow Him into a new life. And as we turn and trust, 
He leads us back into God's perfect design, which can be described in two words. The first is grow. We begin to change, to become more like Jesus as we trust Him, as we turn and trust. And then we get to join God in His work as we go love and we go back into this broken world and we share the hope and the love of Christ. Isn't that a great picture? But at the bottom of it all, this is our hope. Now the problem with hope is it tends to migrate. We tend to put our hope in broken things like relationships that are susceptible to being broken, like stuff, all our stuff's going to be broken, like our health, which ultimately it's going to be broken. A trial like this gives us an opportunity to look up again and say, hey, my hope is not in anything here. My hope is in Jesus Christ and the perfect design that God has has created me to, to enjoy. And so the first reason we have to, re, to, uh, to praise the Lord is I have a living hope. Second reason is in verse 4. It says, He's given us new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's here we fix our eyes on what God is preparing for us. What a promise. You have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And the word in your Bible that you might circle is kept in heaven for you. This this word in the Greek is in the perfect tense, which is a unique tense. It's a past completed action that has a current contemporary present result in our lives. God is keeping your inheritance. And may I remind you as a follower of Jesus that the inheritance that God promises you is not like a little corner of, of heaven. What did Jesus say in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 32? He said, little flock. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and go to that text and invite you to join me there. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And the result is generosity. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What a promise. As we watch our stuff decay, as we watch our health fade, as we watch the stock market go up and down, we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. Third reason to praise our Lord is that we are shielded by, I am shielded by the power of God. We see this in verse 5. He says, okay, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We know when Scripture speaks of salvation, there's three phases. Our justification, when we come to faith in Christ, our sanctification as we're being saved, becoming like Christ, but then our glorification as we become like Him when Christ returns for us. And it's this moment that's in view here. But in the meantime, we can say and we can praise God that we are shielded by His power. May I just encourage you to pause right now and think about this? 
the power of God, the living God, almighty God, omnipotence of God is shielding your life. Big things can't hit you. Little things can't hit you. Even something microscopic like a virus is not going to touch you outside the protective care and permission of our loving Father. And what a, what a gift and what a promise to praise Him for. And should, should harm come and should trouble come, which Jesus said it would, God says, I will give you the grace that you need to embrace that trouble for my glory. And so we rejoice in that and we thank Him for that. Fourth reason to praise our Lord is found in the next verse, and it's this. These trials are temporary. Verse 6 says, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for, and here comes two sweet words, for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I'm so thankful that the Lord does not minimize or downplay our suffering and our grief I know right now in the whole scheme of things, most of us are not suffering in a, in a big way, the, uh, but we're suffering none the least, and changes come. I, I know the initial change when we heard, okay, you're going to cancel March Madness, that uh, does not have a, a huge effect in the realm of eternity, and yet we miss basketball, don't we? And I know for some of our, our players here at church that uh, they've canceled the state tournament, and that, that hurts, and I know some of you are facing the bitter disappointment of spring break not being what it was going to be. And, and it's about relationship. Maybe if we have friends who are going to be away with their senior and it's just, it's sad, it's hard. And some of you processing prom not happening or uh, graduation or just, we're, we're grieving things. And it's comforting to know that, that God cares even about the little things but also cares about the big things. But amidst all the things that, that we grieve, he says this, amidst all these trials, various trials, we have reason to greatly rejoice. It's the paradox of the Christian life, right? We, we grieve and yet we rejoice even in the same moment. Why rejoice in the midst of our trials? And here it is, for a little while, we may have to suffer grief. These trials we're going through are temporary. Have you noticed when you're in the midst of a trial, it seems like time slows down. But aren't you thankful that we are not stuck in the stagnant swamp of suffering? But as followers of Jesus, we know we're part of a redemptive plan. In fact, we could be nearing the end of that plan and, and the Lord's coming could be, new, could be soon. But we know that we are shooting the rapid river of time, moving from trial to trial on our way home. And these trials will pass, and we rejoice in that. And then the last reason, and, and this may be one of the most important reasons to praise God, and I picture it as the thumb. It's one to cling to when we come to a trial. It's found, found in verse 7. The reason is this, this pain has a purpose it's refining my faith. Verse 7 says, These have come so that the proven genuineness, so that these trials have come, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold. So it's saying the most valuable possession we have is our faith. It's of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result 
in praise, in glory, in honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When we understand the purpose for our pain, it empowers us to endure, doesn't it? When we understand that, okay, this is going to hurt, but this hurt is actually creating a far greater good. It gives us the power to endure. What's our most valuable possession? What this text is telling us, what God is telling us here is, the most valuable thing we have is our faith, which enables us to trust the Lord, to re-enter God's perfect design, and then to go love, as God calls us to go love. So that when Christ returns, the life we lived by faith will bring Him glory and honor and praise. But how do we develop a faith that is strong through the ups and downs of life, through the adversities of life, as we have an enemy who is seeking to to trick us up and tempt us into not believing God to be good, even in the trials? It's through the trial. It's through the pain of of the testing that God allows in in our life that that purifies our faith. And the picture that's in this text is vivid. It's, It's of gold. Now, gold, the most precious of metal, is not as valuable as it would be at the start. It must be refined. And so the way they would do this is they put the gold on a fire and heat it up until it was liquid. So super hot. And then the impurities rise to the surface. They'd skim the impurities off the surface. And then as the person looks over the gold, it was so pure that you could see your your reflection. How does our faith to trust God develop and grow in its value? It's through the heat of trial. It's through the pain. Where we're, It's easy to trust God when our life circumstances are 72 degrees, sunny, blue sky. But when the storms come in, the goodness of God seems to be clouded for a moment. Will we trust Him in these moments? Will we trust Him to carry the moment and follow Him by faith? And trial by trial, God gives us the opportunity to develop in our faith so we live a life that's pleasing to Him and powerful to go back into the brokenness and serve Him in a world of need. The illustration that comes to my mind every time I I think of this is when we uh, shared with... uh, our, our, took our son Chad to uh, have his shot. Now, Chad was, uh, as a two-year-old, it was, we would explain to him, son, we're, we're going to the doctor and, and we're going to get a shot. It's going to hurt, but uh, this is going to help you stay you know, healthy from measles and mumps and polio and all these things. But as a two-year-old, he's having trouble processing these things. So the minute we set him up on that doctor's table and he felt the crinkly uh, paper on that table, man, it was all-out resistance to, uh, to anyone who wanted to cause him harm. And it took a team to hold him down. But on this day, he was about five years old, getting ready for kindergarten. And I remember pulling up to the doctor's office, blue sky, and having a man-to-man conversation with, with him. And I said, all right, Chad, this is part of becoming a man. And we're about to go to school. And first, you've got to feel some pain so that you can battle off the sickness, that you're going to get with these kids and germs are going to be passed and you may pass some germs, and this will keep everybody healthy, but it's going to hurt. But you know, part of being a man is taking the pain and uh, embracing it. So uh, when you go into this doctor's office, and I gave him a, uh, a red 
or an orange ball. And I said, okay, this ball, just squeeze it. If you feel pain and uh, know that this pain is profitable, it, it's helping. There's a purpose to it. And he, he a uh, young warrior, squeezed the ball, um, embraced the pain, and made it through that moment. How do we process the pain of life? And as we understand this pain has a purpose, it empowers us to uh, endure it. And what a gift God has given us here to know He never wastes a hurt, right? I just encourage you with that today. When pain enters your life, He never wastes that hurt. And as we allow it to refine our faith, He's working a plan for His glory and for our good and the good of the people around us. So how do we navigate these discombobulating times? One word, it's praise. We have a living hope. We have a lasting inheritance. We are shielded by the power of God until we arrive safely home. These trials, they are temporary, and this pain, it has a purpose. And so we can fill each moment up with praise. And you guys, this is our one and only life, right? We've got one shot at this thing. And we have just entered a, a unique season in really the history of humanity. And may we as followers of Jesus, though these times are discombobulating, may we fill these moments up with praise. And God has given His Word to us to enable us to, to cling to these truths, a handful of reasons to fill this day and this week up with praise. And so let's get it started right now as a, as a community of faith. And so take a moment now and just praise wherever you're at. And thanks again for worshiping with us. God bless you. We love you. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.